0: When I hit my one-year mark in um, May of 2014, I wrote my very first post all about sobriety, which was one year without alcohol. If you're reading this, I made it one year. <laughs> and it was just kind of like I put all my feelings down into that one blog, and I like, sent it out into the, into the world, onto the internet. So anyway, that post ended up going viral and got picked up by the Huffington Post, and it, it's been republished in like six different languages and so I was just completely overwhelmed with the reaction that it got. I was like, oh my God, what? I was like, I was like writing that post for me, like just getting all my feelings out there. And lo and behold, all these other people felt the exact same way I did.
1: It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now here's your host, Oh!
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of TSP, The Share Podcast. And on today's episode, we've got Kelly Fitzgerald joining us as she takes us through the adventures of the sober senorita. Kelly also participated in the I Am Not Anonymous project, where you'll see a picture of Kelly tagged with sobriety is self-love. But prior to becoming part of the recovery movement, Kelly's first adventure begins in high school. She was tagged the social butterfly. So through high school and college, her alcoholism escalated year after year until finally she graduates from college and moves to Cancun, Mexico. And the rest is history. Her alcoholism morphed into full-blown alcoholic debauchery. Today, Kelly is a completely different person. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that she launched the Adventures of the Sober Senorita blog, where her story of one year in sobriety was heard around the world. Today, Kelly joins us and takes us through her entire journey of recovery up until today. I'm really excited to have her on the show. So let's dive right into Kelly's story. But first, a little share podcast news. <laughs> Okay guys, first let's open the show with some credits. Today's audio was edited by Zinzi Gugu, social media marketing, managed by Christy Wojo. And I just want to take a moment to thank all of the amazing members of the Private Accountability Group. We have now reached 1,179 members. People are posting daily, asking for help, and so many of our members are jumping in and offering suggestions and support. It's way too overwhelming for me to do it alone, and I haven't been doing it alone for a long time now. Thanks to all of you guys who are actively participating in your own recovery and the recovery of others. It's just an HP baby moment. I just wanna thank you guys so much. Each and every one of you makes a tremendous difference. So stay active in there, people. HP baby. Okay guys, another quick reminder that I will be at the Seattle International Narcotics Anonymous Convention this year, July 29th, 30th, and 31st, 2016. It will be held at the Seattle Airport Marriott and I will be the main speaker on Friday night, opening up the convention. If you go to the Share Podcast website, on the right-hand side of the website, you'll see a banner. It's a blue banner that says S-I-N-A-C 2016. Click on that banner, it'll send you to the page where you have information about room rates, about registering for the convention. Everything you need to know about attending the convention is right on that website. So again, I would love to meet you guys in person. If you can make it out there, would love to see you. And guys, just another quick reminder that we have a private alumni group inside of SoberGrid. So feel free to join us in there and show your support. As I'd mentioned in previous episodes, the notification feature isn't working yet. So you have to keep logging back in to check and see if somebody else is posted. And not only that, you could just be in SoberGrid. Sober Grid is a great resource. It's absolutely free. You go to either your iTunes App Store or you go to your Google Play on your Android. Type in Sober Grid and the app will come right up. Again, it's absolutely free. Download it onto your phone. You can either sign up with your email, you sign up through Facebook. And as soon as you log in, you can go directly to the grid. And for example, when I log in here in Costa Rica, I can see 10 of my friends that are in Sober Grid. I didn't know they were in Sober Grid until I logged in and signed up. But now I can see that they're in Sober Grid as well. And when I go to Seattle or California or any place else in the world, I can type in the city that I'm gonna be in and immediately all the people in that city that are on sober grid will pop right up. So if I want to find out where a meeting is or if, you know, I want to try and hook up with somebody for coffee or something like that, then what I do is I click on the picture of the person and there's a little chat feature and I can send them a message. You know, so and if the person gets creepy, you can always block them out as well. So it's it's a really safe app and more importantly, this is a way for anyone who is traveling to find and get to a meeting. The way to sign up to the alumni group is to go to the three lines at the top left of the grid or of the app. It's gonna take you to the menu section. In the menu section, you'll see the grid newsfeed, which is just like Facebook. Profile, so you can edit your profile in the picture. Invite Facebook friends. And then a little further down, you'll see where it says alumni group. Click on alumni group, type in S-H-A-I-R, share podcast alumni group will pop right up just click on it ask to join and as soon as i get that notification i'll approve you just like the facebook private group so download the app today and let's connect guys So I've made a couple of updates to the website, which should make it easier for you to navigate through and find the stuff that I have been promoting at the beginning of the episodes. Uh, The first being, if you go to the right-hand side of the website, www.thesharepodcast.com, remember to spell share, S-H-A-I-R. First you'll come across where it says subscribe on iTunes. Click on that, you can download it directly to your iPhone and at the same time you might as well rate and review while you're at it. Underneath that button is the subscribe on Stitcher Radio which you can also download onto your Android phone and rate and review on Stitcher Radio as well. Below that is the donate with PayPal button. Click on the yellow PayPal button It'll send you to the donate page and there you can either send a one-time donation or you can subscribe and send a monthly recurring donation. And again, I want to thank all the Share Podcast listeners who have sent in their generous donations. Guys, it makes a big difference and it really helps support, grow, and maintain the show. Below the donate button is the join the Facebook private group. Guys, I can't say enough about the impact this group has had on me and so many others. There are hundreds of people in this group, newcomers, old-timers, newcomers asking for help, old-timers giving support. It's just been an amazing and powerful recovery tool for people that are in between meetings, can't make a lot of meetings, are afraid to go to meetings. This group has provided so much Encouragement and support. And I get emails all the time now thanking me so much for that group and the impact it's had in their lives. So, guys, remember it's Facebook, it's free. Go to the website and click on the Join the Facebook Private Group and get plugged in. Underneath the Join the Facebook Private Group is the Support Share by Shopping at Amazon.com banner. So, click on that banner if you're going to buy anything from Amazon. It's not going to cost you a penny more. But anything you buy on Amazon, after clicking on that link, kicks a little commission back to The Share Podcast and absolutely helps support the show. You can also go to www.thesharepodcast.com forward slash Amazon, and that too will take you straight to Amazon where you can do your shopping and support The Share Podcast All at the same time. Underneath the Amazon button is the follow us on the Facebook fan page, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Google+, follow us on Pinterest, and underneath Pinterest is subscribe on YouTube. So for those of you who haven't been able to download the Share Podcast on your phone or haven't been able to listen to it on the website and you are familiar with YouTube, all you have to do is click on that button. It'll take you right to the Share Podcast library of episodes on YouTube. And right underneath the subscribe on YouTube banner is an image titled most popular. Click on that image and it will take you to the Share Podcast's most popular episodes based on downloads and listener feedback. So if you're new to the Share Podcast and just started listening and you're wondering which are the most popular episodes, then click on that image that says most popular and it'll take you right to the page where I have listed the most popular episodes according to listener feedback and download numbers. So for more information about the Seattle Convention, Sober Grid, the Private Accountability Group, how to donate, or anything else share related, just go to the website www.thesharepodcast.com or email me at o at the and I'll get back to you ASAP. So now a quick message from our sponsor and on to the show. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction, as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www.sobernation.com. Sober Nation is putting recovery on the map. And finally, would you like to receive the most popular AA Daily Devotions free in one distribution? Transitions Daily delivers daily devotions from the 24 hours a day, AA Thought for the Day, Daily Reflections, Big Book Quote, Just for Today, As Bill Sees It, plus more. You can get our distribution daily via email, private Facebook group, or Twitter. Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends in meetings and with sponsees in recovery. Now back to the show. Kelly, the sober senorita, thanks for joining us.
0: Hello. Thank you.
2: It's great to have you on the show. How are you feeling today?
0: It's great to be here. I'm feeling pretty good.
2: Oh, I'm totally excited. This is, I'm pumped.
0: Yeah, me too.
2: Yeah. Folks, today we have Kelly Fitzgerald joining us on the Share Podcast, the Sober Senorita. So Kelly, tell us a little bit about what's going on in your life today, your hobbies, exercise, take us into your normal daily routine, including recovery.
0: Okay. Well, today, today I'm, I'm actually packing my bags, getting ready to go to Cancun, um, because I'm planning a wedding and my life is just crazy right now. But in terms of recovery, I um, attend meetings, 12-step meetings, about two or three times a week. And I try to meditate a few times a week. I don't always do it as often as I'd like, um, but I try to sit quietly. I like to be alone. I think that helps me uh, think about stuff in, in my recovery and that helps. And, uh, other than that, I write a lot on my blog I, and I write a lot about sobriety and recovery and that's very therapeutic for me as well. Um, and exercise is very important to me. I'm really into CrossFit and I play soccer.
2: I've seen the videos, so I've already <laughs> seen a lot of the CrossFit videos. you look like you're pretty intense in there.
0: Yeah, I try to be. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you a bit of a, a sports fanatic?
0: Yeah. Soccer is my number one sport. But I watch a little bit of everything.
2: You know, what was real exciting was uh, when your fiance proposed to you at a football game.
0: I know. (laughs) (laughs) I still can't believe that happened. Yes, that happened. And it was totally awesome. And he planned that out. And I can't believe he did that.
2: (laughs) And it was awesome. So you you had no you didn't suspect a thing.
0: No, not at all. I I know we, we had talked about obviously getting engaged, but I had no idea when it was going to happen. I totally did not think it would happen at a Philadelphia Eagles game because <laughs> he's a huge Eagles fan. I mean, so am I. I mean, I grew up outside of Philly, but he's like the diehard fan. So I bought him those tickets as a gift for his birthday thinking, oh, yeah, this is a gift for him. So that also made me think it was not going to be about me at all. Or us or like any kind of engagement. So he totally tricked me. Yeah, he did. (laughs) (laughs) He did a great job.
2: He did. It's moments like that that you never, ever, ever forget. And that's the best.
0: Yes, exactly.
2: Uh, My next question is always, how do you maintain your spiritual condition, that conscious contact with a higher power?
0: I always feel most connected um, in 12-step meetings when I'm listening to people share and people telling their stories and i love to get outside in nature and be at the beach and i always feel um, more connected outside so i like to force myself to get outside even when i have a lot of stuff to do even if it's just the backyard because it's beautiful here in florida um and so yeah i think those are those are the main things
2: beautiful and kelly tell us how much clean time do you have and when is your anniversary date
0: I have just over two and a half years. My anniversary date is May 7, 2013.
2: Awesome. I am May 26, so yeah. we, we have uh, the same. Yeah,
0: yeah I know month. a lot of people that have their dates in May. I guess it's a good month to get sober.
2: May's a good month, and also there's a lot of anniversaries in December and January. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> new year, new me. I get I get, I get those, and I'm like, wow, here's another one. You know, yeah. it's a, Those rock bottoms come right around Christmas. Right. Merry wow, Christmas, good. right?
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, so tell us how old you were the first time you drank or used drugs, and more importantly, how did they make you feel? So
0: the first time I drank I have like two stories, and i can can 't remember which one came first. One was I was with a a girlfriend of mine, a high school friend, and we raided her parents' liquor cabinets and we just like drank whatever was in there and I know one thing was gin, and we were like being really quiet because we didn 't want to wake up her parents. I think I was like fifteen. So we were drinking straight from the bottle because we didn't know anything about drinking or like (laughs) what to mix with or anything. So basically we would like take shots and then throw up into the sink. So that was not really fun. (laughs) But I do remember it making me feel weird and and like different. And then the other time was I think I was like 16 or 15 again. I was with my like boyfriend at the time and we went to homecoming and then we went back to his house and um, we drank and had Mike's Hard Lemonade. And also, I, I threw up again. So that was like, a, should be a precursor to how my drinking habits were the whole time so <laughs> over you, the next few years.
2: You already started drinking like a champ.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. I think I seriously have that physical allergy.
2: Oh, that's, there's no question about it. All right, you're all warmed up, Kelly. So I'm turning this show wow. over to you. It's time for you to share your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and finally, your journey into recovery up until today. So Sober Senorita, take it away.
0: All right. So I grew up in the suburbs of, Pen- of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. I grew up with alcoholism in my home. It, my, one of my parents drank, and it, it was a very taboo topic in my home. And I learned fairly young what alcoholism was. And I never wanted to be that, that person that I saw in my home. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that person. But as the years went on, um, I was always looking for something to do. I'm a very, uh, I guess I was extroverted then. I feel like I changed a little bit since then. But I always wanted to do something or go somewhere um, or hang out with friends. When I was uh, in middle school, I was always looking to be in the in crowd with the popular girls, and like I, I was always wanted to know what they were doing and wear what they were wearing and say what they were saying. Um, and I could never quite get there. Um, and so then high school rolled around, and I, I think I just told you the first times I drank. So I like kind of experimented. And as soon as that that happened, as soon as I started drinking, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like all the cool stuff happens at parties. Um, That's where all the popular people are. Um, So I I, I should keep doing this. right? And (laughs) um, I also was, like, super against any kinds of drugs. I don't know why. Like, I I guess at first I was against drinking because of what happened to my family. And then I was against drugs. Like, I had the same boyfriend that I drank with the first time. He used to smoke weed a lot. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm never doing that. (laughs) And then like, (laughs) I did it one time, and I was like, hooked. So I did smoked a lot of weed in high school. And I drank I I also have had six knee surgeries from soccer. And so I was prescribed also um, pain pills at that time. And I wouldn't say I abused them really in high school. But as the years went on, I would use them recreationally. And and while i drank i would take uh, those pills and stuff just to get more drunk and so my habits right off the bat were obviously not normal and it was kind of like i i loved um being relaxed in a social atmosphere and being like part of the uh, in crowd and always know what was going on where the party was and who it was with um so then, I went off to college when I was eighteen. I went to Millersville University, which is in Central Pennsylvania, and I just couldn't wait to go because I just wanted to be away from my parents. I could do whatever I wanted, aka party mm-hmm. and um, have fun and just like meet new people. And I was always craving like attention from men and um, and new friends. I was always switching groups of friends. It was never enough for me in any aspect that includes like drinking, friends, activities. I was always doing everything to the extreme, so in college is when my drinking started to go towards blacking out and um, and throwing up, and that kind of stuff uh, blacking out like became pretty like normal for me, and it started to get pretty scary. Um, there in college, there were times where I can still remember the hangovers like it was yesterday like so horrible the hangovers I had and, and then the blacking out and I would find out what I did the next day and not remember even like a second of it and that was really scary. Into dangerous situations with uh, people I didn't know and wake up in places I didn't know with mm-hmm. without my clothes and things like that. Yep. And so it was very traumatizing and I was full of shame and guilt and just mixed up and I continued to drink because of that. I, I just wanted to bury it. Every time I had those feelings, I just wanted to bury it. and um, and it's funny because I like I said, when I first started drinking, I kind of found a way to hang out with all all these new people. and in college, it was like I had finally arrived, I guess <laughs> because i I felt I think I was like kind of a popular person on campus because I always knew where the parties were. I was always there people that i like don't even remember seeing like the night before would come up to me on campus and be like hey like fun party last night <laughs> and i would be like oh okay i don't remember i don't know who you are but okay <laughs> and that, that was normal then and i like felt really cool and i also like moved off campus when i was a junior into this area called e courts which is uh, like a cul-de-sac of houses where all the parties take place, and I like knew when I was moving out I'm like I'm gonna get a house in that area because that's where all the parties happen and I want to live in a party house I want to host all the parties and and you know be that person who is the life of the party so i did I did that and and it was fun, I guess a little bit, but mostly it was destructive and um, but somehow all this time I managed to go to class and I managed to graduate in four and a half years and I got two degrees, bachelor degrees. Um, and I graduated in December of 2007. And then, so after college, I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? Because I don't want to deal with reality. I didn't want to like get a nine to five or settle down at all. Cause that just freaked me out. <laughs> and totally. yeah. So I was like, okay, what can I do now to like prolong this, Awesome life I have in college where all I do is party and show up to class sometimes. So I like remembered when I was in college I went on spring break two years in a row, once to Acapulco and the other time to Panama City Beach, Florida. And obviously if you've ever been on spring break
2: many it's times
0: absolutely insane <laughs> and basically somewhere what I would love to be back then. And it was crazy. So I remembered when I went on spring break, there was the companies that we bought the trips through, they had people working on site in the different locations and they were like, you know, regular American guys working and i was like, oh my gosh, like, how do you get this job? It's awesome. And they were like, oh, look it up online. So I remembered that after I graduated college and I was like, oh I can apply to work and do this awesome spring break job for like the spring of 2008 because I did graduate in December. So I applied to all these spring break trip companies um, and one of them hired me. I got sent to Cancun, Mexico and for the spring of 2008 um to work and they paid for everything. They pay for your flight and your food and your hotel and it's basically like you just they just send you and you're there for like a month and a half. Oh
2: my god.
0: <laughs> working, quote unquote.
2: Sounds <laughs> and, awesome.
0: Yeah, so it was awesome and all you have to do is basically like babysit the spring breakers, pick them up at the airport and you know, give them a spiel, make sure they get their like food tickets and they're settled in the hotel and If they have any problems or anything, you're there for them. So I did that. And um, so that escalated my drinking and using, obviously, even more. I tried ecstasy for the first time when I was there, and I ended up doing that, like, every day the last few weeks that I was there, and I barely even worked, like, the last two weeks. Seriously. Um, I didn't – I was, like, completely white. I didn't have a tan or anything because I would, like, party all night and then sleep all day, and I, like, never saw the beach or the sun. And I was like so skinny because I was just, you know, using and drinking a lot. And I thought it was very glamorous at the time because spring break, everyone thinks you're really important because you're part of the the companies that sell the trips and you get to be in VIP at the clubs and near the DJs. And um, yeah, so it was fun, but it was very destructive. And the blacking out also continued there. Um, And then I went home after that. And I was like detoxing. I believe now I didn't know it at the time, but I think from like taking those ecstasy pills every day and I got getting home and then not taking anything, I was like sweating and like having really crazy dreams oh, for like a, a few days after I got home back to Philly. And so after I got home, I was like to- totally depressed. Like, oh my god, that was the best experience of my life. What can I do now? Like, what am I going to do with my life now? So I picked another geographical location to move to, and that location was Ocean City, Maryland. And that was, like, a summer thing. I found some roommates to live with, and I drank every single day when I was in Ocean City, Maryland. I think that, like, I, I look back at that, and I'm like, that was the longest period of time. I think it was, like, four months I lived there where I actually did drink every single day. Because I wasn't really normally an everyday drinker. I was normally a binge drinker who just drank on the weekends or, like, Wednesday through Saturday or whatever in college. Um, and I always, like, prided myself on that. Oh, I don't have a problem because I just, yeah, I stay in sometimes or I go a week without drinking here and there. But um, so in Ocean City, Maryland, I drank a lot. I, I befriended a, a drug dealer. <laughs> And we, we did lots of cocaine together and blacked out a lot again, same things and found friends, you know, that drank like I did and used like I did and, um, thought it was okay. And, um, so that continued. And then after that was over at the end of the summer, I was like, okay, now what again, what can I do? So I like couldn't stop thinking about Cancun and I really wanted to go back and work there again for spring break season in 2009 so I like applied again to the companies. I, I asked the company that I'd worked for in 2008, if they needed people and they like never got back to me and didn't rehire me. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shaker. but I, I did find another like small Mexican company that was owned by a guy I befriended when I was down there in 2008 and he needed some girls to work for him in 2009. So he like paid for my flight and another girl that I was friends with, and we worked for him. So I, I like found any way possible to get there, got there, worked for him, doing the same stuff like picking up groups at the airport and showing them around and taking them out to the clubs and drinking with them. And it was just a shit show, basically. Again. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. So you know, I went to back into the same old pattern of using, did lots of ecstasy. You know, drank a lot. I blacked out even more. I think in two thousand nine than the year before. Got into some very scary situations with men I didn't know, and you know, it was it was very bad. <laughs> um, so, but for some reason, I like loved it there, and I think it's because I think that Cancun. I don't know if a lot of tourist destination places are probably like this, but it it attracts people that are running away from something yeah so there was lots of people there that were exactly like me and drank and used like I did we're trying to get away from something and it was just we all found um solace with each other and so it was very destructive but um so I I I worked spring break I left again went back to Philly and then I was like talking to a girl that I had met on spring break who was from Chicago and we were like we're gonna move to Cancun (laughs) Full time, like not just during spring <laughs> break, and we'll room together, we'll get an apartment together, it'll be great. <laughs> That's this is the idea we had. I love it. Yeah. And I was like, Okay, I'm in, like, let's do this. And so this was all around in the time of the swine flu. I don't know if you remember that, yep, but I do. It, she was like, Oh no, I can't, I am not going. What about the swine flu? And I was like, Oh my god, I'm still going. <laughs> so I like said to hell with her I'm still going and I like went and I packed like four suitcases all my stuff and um I like went and stayed with a, a, a random guy that I met on spring break um who had like an extra room and it was like oh you can stay with me until you find where somewhere to live and what to do and I actually got a job working for one of the spring break companies again, but a different one and one that has summer trips. So I was doing basically the same thing. And I flew there in May of 2009 with like four suitcases, like, okay, I'm going to start my new life (laughs) living in Cancun. And um, so that's how I ended up there. And that was uh, lots of drinking again and lots of partying. It was all about the party. Uh, Everyone I wanted to be around had to be like important in the party, like the boyfriend that I found, I was like someone that worked in the nightclubs. I was like, oh, he's cool. He works in the nightclubs. He can get me in for free. He can give me free drinks. And so let's date. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I found a group of girlfriends that liked to party and we did that all year round. And um, so after like the summer, I found other jobs like I sold vacation packages at um, some call centers making like cold calls. That wasn't very fun. Kept drinking the entire time. And then – so I ended up having to live with this boyfriend because my roommate, the random guy that I was staying with, got arrested. Oh, for what? So he got – actually, he got arrested for fraud in the United States and they deported him like from Mexico to the U.S. And like I had no idea that he was a criminal when obviously when I was living with him and I just like didn't hear from him for a couple days. And then I came back to my apartment, our apartment, and it was like completely trashed and raided by like the Mexican police. This is a true story.
2: Wow.
0: (laughs) I know. It's crazy. So that was like how my life was, complete chaos. And I was like mad at him at the time for not telling me that, but I didn't really care. (laughs) (laughs) so I didn't I couldn't afford to pay the rent obviously without him so I moved in with with my ex-boyfriend our relationship was okay at first but we started fighting a lot and all of our fights were about me drinking too much and getting too wasted and him having to take care of me and um you know him getting pissed off that I wouldn't remember what happened in a blackout and he would have to explain it to me and Blah, blah, blah. And it was, I mean, this isn't the first, that wasn't the first time I had problems like that with with boyfriends. Like, I almost always had problems like that. I, I was always in destructive relationships with men. Um, I always, like, was in relationships where I fought constantly or most of the time. And it never worked out good. And it was a lo- always lots of yelling and arguing. So this one was no different. And it got progressively worse and worse, and I actually ended up moving back to the U.S. in 2010 um, to work because I, didn't have, I couldn't find, like, a good job there. I couldn't keep a job. And so I moved home to work, and I, me and my, that ex, we tried to stay together. So I would fly there every month to see him, but I was, like, at home, like, partying and drinking and, like, being promiscuous. So. Mm. <laughs> um so that didn't really last long. We ended up like breaking up and um, I continued to drink and black out a lot this whole time and thinking that that was normal. You know, I was like, oh, like everyone blacks out. You know, I'm not the only one. But um, I still remember like my ex that I'm talking about. He he had said to me like way back, like, you know, if like the things that happened to you when you drink happened to me, I would never drink again. Right. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And at the time I was like, Oh my God, how dare you? <laughs> you Don't know, judge me. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone blacks out. Come All on. Right. Me. So anyway, I actually, so we broke up and then we ended up getting back together <laughs> in, in, fall of 2011. I moved, I hopped a plane back on to Cancun to be with him, which was the, the worst idea because that only lasted for like three months before we were like at each other's throats again about the same BS. And, um, I was like, all right, I can't deal with this anymore. So we broke up. We're like around Christmas 2011. I moved out and I was still in Cancun. I moved out from our, the apartment I was with him and moved in with a girlfriend of mine, a Canadian girl. And just because of this breakup and because I was so like lost, and annoyed, I just was like off to the races with drinking and using after that. So th- that brought me to 2012, which was like my most destructive drinking and using year ever. I was heartbroken. I like was pissed off. I was lost. And so I just like drank and used a ton of cocaine and ecstasy. Again, the blackouts continued. Um, I got into bad situations with men. I didn't know again, the same old patterns. And I found another, a new group of girlfriends who were just as enthusiastic about using cocaine and drinking as I was. And so We used a lot together, and it was just completely insane, and um, it was starting to affect my work. I had, at that time, a pretty good job. I was working at a swimming with the Dolphins company in Cancun, and I was doing, like, internet reservations and social media, and I really liked that, but um, I couldn't. I would, like, sleep through work. I would be late. I would come in hungover. There were a few times where I went to work without sleeping at all, like, (laughs) and it was just completely insane,
1: and I mean, and my
0: my boss, like, had, like, once or twice said, like, are you okay? Like, didn't I, like, straight up say, like, I know that you're you're drunk or that you're hung over, but he was really nice about it. But then finally, so I couldn't keep up with this to double life, I guess is what you call it. So I, I quit before he could fire me, but he probably should have fired me before that. <laughs> but I quit. So that was, like, in April of 2012, I quit. Actually, and um, right before I quit there, I met my fiance, my current love, in a nightclub in Cancun on spring break. <laughs> During this crazy, crazy, crazy time, we met. Um, he was the DJ at the club, actually, and he does um, look yeah. very cool. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, of course, he was the DJ, and I was the drunk girl. Like, ooh, hey, I want to know you, <laughs> and um. So we had, like, met when we were drinking, and we, like, kept in contact just as friends. Like, we were Facebook friends and whatever. I quit my job. I went back to Philly for, like, a week. I came back. I got a new job with the girls that I had been drinking and using with constantly. They were writers for, like, a website, and they were like, oh, we need another writer. And I was like, awesome. That's perfect. And it's, like, work from home. And I was like, that's awesome. I can party and do this job. And so that was, like, my first writing gig which actually is awesome, because I love writing today. So it's funny how that worked out. Because when I got the job, I was just an absolute mess. So anyway, Fernando and I, we like started hanging out as friends. And then we got romantic a few months later. And this, this was at the height of my drinking and getting crazy and going out every day and using and I just like wanted nothing to do with like a serious relationship. I was like, I don't even know why he wants to date me. Like, I'm like, I do whatever I want. Uh, like I'm worthless and I cannot be a committed girlfriend. So I don't even know why he bothers, but like he kept hanging out with me. And, um, eventually we got pretty close and we like, in the beginning, our relationship was extremely rocky. We broke up a lot. We got mad at each other a lot. The same old, um, like tumultuous relationship pattern that I'd had in the past. And it was all because of drinking and drugs. Right. And he, the same thing as with my ex, he, uh, Fernando also got mad at me for drinking too much, blacking out, not knowing what I'm doing or where I am or who I'm with and him having to take care of me and carry me out of bars and nightclubs and clean up my throw up and really glamorous stuff like that. Right. Eventually I kind of calmed down a little bit. At the in the fall of 2012, and we had moved in together and I thought I was like on on a good path. But we would still go out like on the weekends and I would still binge drink and I would still black out every once in a while. It wasn't as common as before. And I had stopped using cocaine because he was like, No, you absolutely can't do that. Like I'm, and he would like watch me go into the bathroom at the nightclub, like, Who are you going there with? Are you going oh. into, into a stall with one of your friends? And <laughs> So, you know, yeah, so I I felt like, well, at the time it made me mad because I was like, oh, he doesn't trust me, like, whatever, I can do what I want. I was offended. I didn't really think that he was, like, you know, just caring about me, not wanting me to kill myself with drugs and alcohol. But, um, so, you know, I did actually stop using cocaine first. And then, um, you know, drinking, like, tapered off a little bit and then, I actually brought brought Fernando back to Philly with me for Christmas, and we traveled all around, all around the Northeast United States. We like saw my family in Philly, went to New York City, went to Vermont. A lot of my family is from Vermont, and I rem- remember um, we went out with my cousin in Burlington one night to get drunk and. I blacked out at the end of the night, and I was so hungover. The next day, I, like, could not even function. We were, like, doing fun stuff, like visiting the Ben and Jerry's ice cream factory, and I was puking in the bathroom. And it was just, like, I think that that was, like, the beginning of the end for me. I was embarrassed. I was like, oh, my God, this is still happening to me. Like, what the hell? And we went to Atlantic City, too, and with a few of my friends from high school. And the same thing. I was so hungover. The day after, and we came home, and I was like, This is horrible. <laughs> but I kept doing it. And then, um, so that brings us into 2013, and me and Fernando were still living together, and we're still together, and our relationship was pretty good. The only thing we ever fought about was my drinking. Mm-hmm. And he was afraid, like every time we go out, he's like, You're not gonna get, you're not gonna black out, right? Blah, blah, blah. You're not gonna do this. I'm like, Get off my back. <laughs> Like, you know, <laughs> and so it's like I was playing games with myself like I had done for years like okay I can do this I can regulate my drinking like I'll just drink um, two beers tonight and that's it and like I always gave myself these goals that I would never reach and that I would end up failing at every single time and then feel like crap about it the next day um, because I couldn't do it I just I was like well, what's wrong with me you know and so during this time, I was planning a trip to Punta Cana to uh, go to a bachelorette party with my best friends from high school. And they had been planning this for like 10, um, 10 months or something. And it was one of my best friends who was getting married in June. And so we were going to go in May for a bachelorette party. I was going to fly from Cancun to there and meet them. So Fernando was like, no way. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't go on this trip. Like, are you kidding me? You can't even like drink here when we go out for a night for like beers and I like, you know, had to convince him that it was okay. And all the while thinking like, Oh my God, he can't tell me what to do. Like (laughs) F him, (laughs) got my own woman or whatever, you know? So I planned the trip and obviously didn't give two shits what he said. I was like, I'm going, I have to go It's my best friend. What do you mean? And, and so I like promised him that I would be okay. And that I would have control of myself And everything would be fine. And he believed me. And, like, we, again, we were only going out on the weekends at this time. And I was being pretty good. I think I hadn't blacked out for, like, a month or something. And so, like, a week or two, like, one week before I was supposed to go on the trip, we went out on a Saturday night. And I blacked out. And I was, like, throwing up in the nightclub. Uh, Like, just one of those girls that's, like, disgusting. And he had to carry me out. Like, I have no recollection of it at all just like complete blackout. And so obviously the next day he was pissed and like, okay, you're going on a trip in a week where you told me that you're going to be able to control yourself and you obviously can't. And so we thought about that. We were fighting and then a week later, I had to go on my trip. I was like, oh, I can't cancel it now. No way. Like, and then he was like, okay, then just don't drink. And I was like, what do you, well, I, I don't know. Not drink. Who does that? Like, that's, just, that's what this trip is for, you know? People will think I'm pregnant if I don't drink. Like, that doesn't make any sense.
2: It does to an alcoholic.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so I went on the trip, even though he was mad. I have to be good. I have to be good. I have to control myself. I have to do this. I really got to do this this time. So the first night I was okay. I like had a few drinks and I remember everything. And I was texting him like every hour to let him know I'm like alive. And, um, the, the next day, the second day there, we were drinking all day by the pool. It was like Cinco de Mayo. And, um, I blacked out. My friends had to take care of me. I ended up puking in the bathroom, in the hotel, the same old, same, same old stories, same yeah. old drunk Kelly. And obviously, I didn't text him. And he just knew that that's what I was doing. Like, obviously, if I didn't, I wasn't capable of, like, typing into a phone that he knew that I was blacked out. And so I, like, woke up the next day and there was, like, a message from him, like, it's over. Like, we're broken up. I'm done with this. I'm done with you. And I was like, oh, geez. So I'm, like, crying and I'm, like, trying to, like, to apologize and apologize to my friends. I was, like, so humiliated. I just remember... That feeling so well. I was humiliated all around, embarrassed. Uh, I don't didn't know what I said or did or who I talked to, and and like my friends from high school, they didn't they hadn't seen me really like that too much either because um, they didn't party with me in college. They went to different colleges, and so I was very embarrassed and very full of shame and guilt and and so like that day, that second, that third day, I guess. I still drank because I wanted to forget about Dude. all crap. Dude. and the horrible hangover I had. But I didn't. Ha- I had a few. I don't remember how many drinks I had, but I didn't blackout or anything. But so that was like my last hurrah. And um, in the airport on the way back to Cancun, I was just like a mess. I felt like shit physically and emotionally. I my boyfriend just broke up with me. Again, like another relationship that was effed up because of my drinking, my friends were probably embarrassed by me and I was just, uh, uh, that was my bottom, that sitting in that airport that day, I'll never forget it. I just felt horrible and I like called my mom and I was like, mom, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I can't get it together. Like, I just can't figure this out. I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I think I have to stop drinking. And um, she was like, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you, Kel. You're an alcoholic.
2: Ooh. And I was Whoa. like, That's sad.
0: But I like knew deep down inside that she was right yeah. and um, that she had listened to me cry and like bitch about this for years. And like, why? Why can't I just drink normally? Why can't I just be a normal person? Why did all these bad things keep happening to me? Um, so I just decided like in the airport, okay, I'm done. Like I need to try something else because everything else I tried, all these games I've been playing about regulating my drinking have never worked, never. And I've tried and I'm sick and tired of like that anxiety you get when you wake up and you have no idea what happened and you feel like horrible. That self self loathing.
1: Yeah.
0: I never wanted to feel that again. And I was like, okay, what can I do that I have never done before? And I was like, okay, I need to stop drinking and using altogether completely be completely abstinent because I've never tried that before and it might work. (laughs) So I decided that that day and that, that was the, that was my sober date. That was that weekend was my last drink in Punta Cana. Wow. Yeah. So I, I went back to Cancun and Fernando picked me up from the airport, even though he was pissed at me and he had moved all his stuff out of our apartment And he was like, I'm sorry, but I can't sit by and watch you, like, do this to yourself all the time. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to stop drinking. He was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) 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 Like, I heard that before. right? So I was like, okay, fine. So, you know, he was moved out of our apartment for, like, a week. And I had to sit there in our apartment by by myself. I I was working from home. So luckily I was, like, wallowing in my sorrows and my emotions by myself, crying every day. But then he eventually gave me another chance like a week later and he moved his stuff back in and we were able to work it out. Um, I'm really grateful for that because um, we're still together and we're going to get married. (laughs) So
2: Miracles. uh,
0: Yeah. So, uh, okay. So what's next? I have to tell you about my recovery, right?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah. Now, now we have to go into your journey of recovery because it starts now.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, I was basically isolated and very alone at first. I was completely terrified to like go to an AA meeting, which was like the only thing I knew about at the time—twelve step—and um, I kind of Googled some stuff, like oh, what else can I do? And I was—I I loved the internet like I do now, so that was like my first reaction to like Google sobriety and addiction and alcoholism. So I read a lot about that the first few months. And, um, I, I, I'm positive they have English speaking meetings in Cancun, but I was just too scared to go. Um, and so I avoided that at first and I did try some online 12 step meetings where you can go into like a chat room. That was interesting. I, I, like, didn't know what was going on, obviously, because I'd never been to a 12-step meeting. So all the rhetoric they were using and the books they were referencing, I didn't have a big book or anything. So I, I was completely lost on the online meeting. So I kind of was like, this is interesting and not really for me. <laughs> so that's what I thought at the time. And also people were, like, messaging me privately, like, do you have a sponsor? Are you going to face-to-face meetings? Because this doesn't replace that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to. Leave me alone.
2: Yeah, pressure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I like stopped doing those after a few weeks because I was like, oh, it's not for me. But I didn't really know what it was all about then. I just didn't want those questions, and I don't know. I didn't feel like I knew what they were talking about, so I was like, whatever. This right. isn't going to for me. So <clears throat> those first few months, I read a lot of books, uh, drinking memoirs, and I read a lot of addiction websites and recovery blogs. Those helped me a lot. So I was like, "Oh my God, I'm not the only one who feels like this." Because I think what everyone feels like is, "I'm the only one who feels this way, this horrible, and like that I can't control my drinking." But really, there's tons of people out there like us. So
2: millions.
0: Yeah. So it was good to know I wasn't alone, and those books and websites and blogs helped me a lot. So then, um, so I would that was in Cancun, and I was just staying sober, and the day started to rack up. Um, and it got easier as time went on. I The first few months, I was very emotional. I felt like crap still. And then I start, I, I kind of um, went over that hump and started to feel way better. And I was like, wow, I can remember everything. I'm not fighting with my boyfriend. Um, I feel great. So I kept going. And then at like eight months sober, I started my blog, um, The Sober Senorita. And that was kind of – I wasn't sure where I was going to go with it because – I hadn't really told a lot of people about being sober. I had written to my girlfriends that I went on the trip with because obviously they saw me at my worst and I was like, hey guys, I think I'm going to stop drinking. And I kind of just told them and they were of course very supportive and obviously my family knew and a few of my close friends. But um, I was at that time, I had gotten a new job. I was working for a group of hotels doing social media and blogging for them and all my coworkers were like, wow, you are really good at blogging. You should um, start a personal blog. And I had known a couple other girls that lived in Cancun and were from United States or Canada and have had written their own blogs about being an expat living in Cancun. So that was the original premise for my blog. I was like, oh, well, write about being an American girl living in Cancun. But I wanted to incorporate being sober into it because I was like eight months in. I'm like, oh, like sober, Mexico, what can my name be? And my sister came up with the sober senorita <laughs> and I was like oh that's perfect um, it is so, yeah so I started writing and at first I just wrote about like living in Cancun and like the trials and tribulations of being an American girl living abroad and um, things that I would do on the weekends and places that I would travel so it really had nothing to do with sobriety at first or I, I should say I was too scared to like write about that right Right away I did mention I like one had one post I went to a wine and food festival and I was sober and I wrote about being sober there and how they had some non alcoholic cocktails and I was grateful for that. But I didn't never really like explained why. When I hit my one year mark in um, May of 2014, I wrote My very first post all about sobriety, which was one year without alcohol. If you're reading this, I made it one year without alcohol. (laughs) My God. And like these are the things that I learned. And it was just kinda like I put all my feelings down into that one blog and I like sent it out into the into the world onto the internet. And I was like so nervous because I was like, oh my God are people going to read this? And like, there were like, I had like no blog readers back then. So I don't know why I was scared, but I I knew I was going to share it on on my personal Facebook page. So all my Facebook friends would know that I was sober and all that. So anyway, that post ended up going viral and got picked up by the Huffington post. And it's been republished in like six different languages. And it's like completely crazy and amazing. (laughs) Wow, that yeah. is
2: amazing. Yeah, it's
0: insane. And it, I just like obviously got so many messages um like on my Facebook and my email like, "Oh my gosh, I love this post that you wrote. I can relate. Me too. Thank you for writing this. I feel like you were in my head writing this." And so I was just completely overwhelmed with the reaction that it got. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, what?" I was like I was like writing that post for me, like just getting all my feelings out there and lo and behold all these other people felt the exact same way I did and I was like wow this is awesome and obviously people need to hear about this stuff so I'm going to continue writing about sobriety and recovery so I kept writing and that's basically what I write about all the time now on my blog and it's and I've gotten a pretty good amount of followers and I think that's pretty awesome and that helps me a lot in my recovery. And so then, I'll tell you how I started going to 12 step meetings face-to-face because um, I do that now. So I moved from Cancun to Florida after shortly after I hit my 1 year mark of being sober. Fernando and I were like, "Okay, we want to move to the United States eventually and like start our lives here." So we moved to Florida. I wrote about it on the blog like, "Hey, I'm moving to Florida." And one of my blog readers lives in this little town that I live in Cape Coral and she emailed me it was like oh my gosh i just read your blog today <laughs> and you're moving to Cape Coral like that's where i live and and i wanted to tell you that i go to 12 step meetings and there's a really great women's group here and if, i know you don't go because i've written about it on the blog like that i didn't go but if you ever want to You can come with me, and I'll walk you through it, and I'll tell you what goes on, and and we can go together. And I was like, okay. So I, like, emailed her back. I'm like, okay, let's go. Like, I I was like, I've always been really curious because I had only done the online meetings. I'm like, I might as well just go and see how it is. And um, if I don't like it, like, the least I can do is, like, write a blog about it. Right. (laughs) My experience. So I went with her, and she was very nice and still my good friend today. And I loved it.
2: <laughs> go figure. So,
0: yeah. So now I go to those meetings with some wonderful ladies that are here locally, and I love it. And I have incorporated that into my recovery. And I've gone through the 12 steps, and I have a sponsor. So that's where I'm at today.
2: Holy moly. <laughs> I, <think> I
0: just <laughs> talked to you. off. Awesome.
2: <laughs> no, you do excellent job of telling your story. You should tell it more often because... Yeah. You're able to keep a nice chronological order and we're all following along. All the listeners are following along all through your debauchery yeah, and then up into your recovery. There's so many parallels. Maybe it's because we come from a Latino background. Um, You know, my parents are are Latino. And so your parents are Latin, right? No,
0: actually, they're not. I just randomly moved to Mexico and fell in love with the culture. My, My parents are... Irish background, but they're born and raised in the US. I just, um,
2: you're Irish. Yeah. No wonder it's all making sense now. Yeah. Yeah, They drink and they fight. That's
0: yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so yeah, Mexico is just my second home and, and also where my future husband is from and everything.
2: Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. But I remember, you know, when I was in high school too, I didn't drink because you know, oh, then drinking's bad, and then as soon as I started drinking, drinking's amazing, and then I said, "But I'm never yes. going to do drugs. I'm never going to do drugs. I'm not going to smoke weed." <sighs> then I smoke weed for the first time. I'm like, "What was I thinking? Was right? Like crazy. This is the best stuff ever." You know. And then, God yes. forbid, when we get into my cocaine story, which is just you know rock star endings.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: but I, I guess the best part is as we as we get into your recovery part. This is the thing that is going to resonate with my listeners because a lot of the listeners that I have are similar to you, whereas they're resistant to go to meetings initially. Uh, they're having a tough time connecting at the groups. Uh, they don't know what to do on the online meetings. Uh, what you reference to, too, the books. I hadn't thought about that. But you go to an online meeting and you start listening to the rhetoric and you're like, what are they talking? I've got no right. idea what you're talking about. So you're kind of going into something blind where at least if you're in a meeting you know and somebody mentions a book, you can actually see the book and it's just a whole different vibe you know when you're in a meeting face to face with people it's just it's it's a different dynamic, and you can incorporate online uh, along with with your regular meeting attendance um, right. and, and I think that helps tremendously, uh, you know especially you know being someone who's in Cancun, if you had English meetings that you were already used to and you move to Cancun, then you can always connect online because the online world is massive for recovery right now. Yes. But I, but I think like you said, it took you meeting this person that uh, how cool is that?
0: I know it's awesome. That
2: is like super cool. And then you're like, wow, people are actually reading my blog.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's insane. It's insane. And I've met so many other people besides that person, too, just friends, other sober blogger girls that I am, like, best friends with now and other people that I I met at Unite to Face Addiction in Washington, D.C. in October who I only knew online. So it's awesome. I love the online sober community.
2: So tell me a little bit about that because I, I recently saw a video for – there was a video that was posted about – I am not anonymous and all the black and white photos. Uh, Cause I'm in Costa Rica. Yes. I'm not, I'm not even a part of that. So, so you went over there and you, you took photos to be part of that, right?
0: So yeah, they are, that's a photo series that Kate Meyer and Tom Gorris are doing. They, they're the founders of, I am not anonymous and they kind of traveled around to different cities and you get, you sign up for a, a photography session with them. They take the black and white photos They ask you what you want. It's like your slogan across the the photo and then you submit like your recovery story to them and they post those two things together on their website.
2: Wow. That's just, I I saw that and I was blown away by the video that they did.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: Awesome. Yeah. And you also went to Unite. Yes. How was that?
0: Oh, it was awesome. It was so fun. It was like amazing to see that many people together in support of such a great cause Something so important, you know, it was very powerful. I really enjoyed it, and it was awesome again to meet people who I'd only known online before. So it was very cool.
2: Oh, it's it's unbelievable. And you know, one other thing too. I mean, I'm 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 about to celebrate. Like in May, I'm going to celebrate 13 years. And
0: Congratulations! Thank That's you, awesome.
2: thank you, thank you. And I started the podcast a year ago. A year ago, this month.
0: Wow.
2: Um, so and and so. For me to get started with this was like um, an extension of my recovery. I felt like this was my way of giving back what was so freely given to me. And in the course of doing this, I start to meet so many people that are doing recovery-related social media, uh, like yourself, other right. podcasters, that are, some of them were under a year when they started. You started the blog when you had eight months Yep, <laughs> and and so many of them attribute their their sobriety, their their life today, and the, the fact that they are still sober, uh, to the accountability that was tied to to that social media. Would you consider that 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 played a huge role in in, in your sobriety today?
0: Yes, a hundred percent, definitely. I couldn't agree more. I think it it really did keep me sober, and it allowed me to see that I wasn't alone in my struggles and to to help me find others like me and now I'm doing that same thing passing on the message letting others know that they're not alone that they can recover and that there is a way and that they can ask me questions and and it's great I love to pass on the message that way
2: It's beautiful Ladies and gentlemen the sober señorita <laughs> That's me cool. It's so cool um the the reason why and again the reason why I found out uh about the Sober Señorita is because one of my listeners had posted on the social media and said hey look at this uh the Share Podcast has made it onto the Sober Señorita and so again it's just this viral connection uh that girl as a matter of fact has less than a year and she's in, in my uh, private Facebook group. You're in the private Facebook group. So it, there's so much activity. It's like a beehive in there. Um, yes. And they're constantly posting information and connecting us. Like, that's how we got together. We were connected uh, by a newcomer. Yeah, that's so awesome. <laughs> Isn't that
0: incredible how that works?
2: It I is. It's, it's beautiful. And if you can find a way to connect yourself, hold yourself accountable, in whatever media you feel uh, is is right for you, then there's no question about it. It's going to make a huge difference in your recovery, whether you're a writer, uh, whether you feel like um, podcasting is for you, whatever the case may be, even just joining the, the private Facebook groups, People just they just start posting their own videos and they just get super excited about recovery because guess what? The stigma is killed in the groups. You know, you can, right. you can go in there and you can say, hi, you know, I've got five days and I'm struggling. and I need help. Um, and then somebody with 15 days comes in and says, don't worry, I was right there 10 days ago and we can do this together. And I, I've watched just miracles happen online. So so I guess the, 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 the message here is A, uh, nothing really substitutes uh, a face to face meeting, especially in early recovery, because having those people you can lean on that you can that you can touch, you can hold, you can hug, that, that can take you to coffee, that can that can, you know, give you their phone number, you know, the, that's the foundation that you need. And then, you know, to, to really strengthen it get yourself online, get yourself connected, and find a way to hold yourself accountable. Right, Kelly?
0: Right, exactly. The, that's the power of the internet as well. Um, and I think in the way that we move through, through the world these days, everyone goes to the internet first to research anything. It doesn't matter if you're buying a home or you're trying to get sober. So that's why I think it's so important that we're out there, passing on this message and giving these newcomers resources to let them know, hey, you're not alone. Hey, here's what you can do. Here's where the meetings are at. Or here's a meeting that might work for you if you don't like 12-step or whatever. So they have that ability to research that, which is awesome. Because years ago, no one had that those resources. So
2: I'm really happy about that. Not at all. What well, we have at our fingertips today is... Instant everything, including instant recovery. So 100%. Yeah. I'm right there with you. All right, Kelly. So we, we could we could uh, talk about social media for hours, but we're not going Good. to. <laughs> so we're going to close up here. We're going to close up for the newcomer. All right. So I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery, and you're going to respond with some inspiring and insightful answers you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Excellent. So number one, what was keeping you from getting clean and staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery?
0: What was keeping me from getting clean and staying clean was that I was terrified of a life without alcohol or drugs. I thought that was boring and I thought there was nothing fun about being sober and I didn't really know who I was without drugs and alcohol.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's it's. I asked that question because most of the time it's so consistent with everybody else is you know we're so afraid of losing that crutch and Mm -hmm. you know who am i now without the alcohol and my life's going to be boring and blah 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 and then that you you couldn't be further from the truth
0: right exactly that's what i try to hammer home in my blog like it's so far from boring i can't even articulate how not boring it is
2: no and you get to remember all of it
0: yeah exactly (laughs) that's the best part
2: so Kelly, tell us about that spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery, when you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover.
0: I I like to say like my moment of clarity was in that in the airport when I was hungover, but also later I think after I started my blog and I was really like putting the word sober <laughs> into it. I just knew, like, this was going to be my way of life. Like, I, like, spiritually, I was like, okay, you know what? I've accepted this way of life. Uh, My life works better this way. I think for the first few months, I was fighting it. I was upset that I was an alcoholic. I was mad. I was like, this sucks. And then I got over that hump, and I was like, you know what? This is my way of life, and that was like my my moment. I was like, okay, this is how it is, and I love it.
2: And you just and you just surrendered. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So Kelly, do you have a favorite book you would recommend to a newcomer? You read in early recovery.
0: Yes, oh, I have a bunch, but my favorite one, one of the first ones I read, was by Veronica Valley, which she is also a sober blogger and has written two books. Um, the first one I read my first few weeks of sobriety. It's called Why You Drink and How to Stop.
2: Beautiful. As a matter of fact, I just interviewed Veronica two weeks ago.
0: Oh, perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that book. I I tell her all the time. It like saved me. I feel like it played such an integral role in my sobriety. And I I got to meet her at Unite to Face Addiction and I was a little starstruck.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This it is a trip. You know what I mean? Like when she she approached me and she's like, hey, you know, I want to be on share," And I was like, you really? Mm -hmm. awesome. I can't wait. (laughs) She's got so
0: cool. She's got another one. She's
2: she's got a hell of a story. Yeah. So hers is going to be coming out in, uh, Oh, in a few weeks.
0: Oh, good. I can't wait. So
2: look out for that one. I'll let you know. All right. And so what is the best suggestion you have ever received?
0: Oh gosh. It's so hard to pick just one. Um, best suggestion I've ever received. Um, I think, from my sponsor, who gives lots of little nuggets of wisdom, but I sometimes can get overwhelmed with trying to help others or or to always trying to say the, the perfect thing to anyone that's asking me questions or that needs help or to pass on the message. And um, she had said to me one time, I think the biggest help we can ever offer is to be the example, live the highest good you want for others. Like, that's the best thing you can ever do for anyone. So don't worry about always saying the perfect thing. Just be the example.
2: Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I love that. Well, I hope I didn't take the next one away because the next question is, if you could give a newcomer only one suggestion, what would that be? um,
0: Newcomer, I would say um, your life is not over. It's just beginning and it's going to
2: get so much better. Keep it simple. I love it. That's beautiful. And it's 100% true. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Great suggestions, Kelly. Thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
2: It was awesome. Yeah, right? Absolutely awesome. All right, folks. We have now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida.
1: Pura Vida, oh. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the share your story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.